Letter eighteen of the Shirley Letters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Shirley Letters from California Mines in eighteen fifty one and fifty two by Dame Shirley. Louise Amelia Knapp Smith Clapp. Letter the eighteenth. Fourth of July Festival. Spanish Attacked. From Our Log Cabin, Indian Bar, July 5, 1852. Our Fourth of July celebration, dear M., which came off at Rich Bar, was quite a respectable affair. I had the honour of making a flag for the occasion. The stripes were formed of cotton cloth and red calico, of which last gorgeous material no possible place in California is ever destitute. A piece of drilling, taken from the roof of the Humboldt, which the rain and the sun had faded from its original sombre hue to just that particular shade of blue which you and I admire so much, served for a union. A large star in the centre, covered with gold leaf, represented California. Humble as were the materials of which it was composed, this banner made quite a gay appearance floating from the top of a lofty pine in front of the empire, to which it was suspended. I went over to Richbar at six in the morning, not wishing to take so fatiguing a walk in the heat of the day. After breakfast I assisted Mrs. B. and one of the gentlemen in decorating the dining-room, the walls of which we completely covered with grapevines, relieved here and there with bunches of elder-blow. We made several handsome bouquets, and arranged one of syringas, white lilies, and the feathery green of the cedar, to be presented, in the name of the ladies, to the orator of the day. You can imagine my disgust, when the ceremony was performed, to observe that some officious goth had marred the perfect keeping of the gift by thrusting into the vase several ugly purple blossoms. The exercises were appointed to commence at ten o'clock, but were deferred for half an hour in expectation of the arrival of two ladies, who had taken up their abode in the place within the last six weeks, and were living on Indian Bar Hill. As they did not come, however, it was thought necessary to proceed without them. So Mrs. B. and myself were obliged to sit upon the piazza of the Empire, comprising, in our two persons, the entire female audience. The scene was indeed striking. The green garlanded hills girdling rich bar looked wonderfully beautiful, rising with their grand abrupt outlines into the radiant summer sky. A platform reared in front of the Empire— beneath the banner-tasseled pine, and arched with fragrant fir-boughs, made the prettiest possible rustic rostrum. The audience, grouped beneath the awnings of the different shops, dressed in their coloured shirts, though here and there one might observe a dandy miner who had relieved the usual vestment by placing beneath it one of calico or white muslin, added much to the picturesqueness of the scene. Unfortunately, the Committee of Arrangements had not been able to procure a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Its place was supplied by an apologetic speech from Mr. J., who will, without doubt, be the Democratic candidate for State Representative at the coming election. This gentleman finished his performance by introducing Mr. B., the orator of the day, who is the Whig nominee for the above-mentioned office. Before pronouncing his address, Mr. B. read some verses which he said had been handed to him anonymously the evening before. I have copied them for your amusement. They are as follows, and are entitled, A Fourth of July Welcome to the Miners. 
Ye are welcome, merry miners, in your blue and red shirts all. Ye are welcome, mid these golden hills, to your nation's festival. Though ye've not shaved your savage lips, nor cut your barbarous hair, ye are welcome, merry miners, all bearded as ye are. What though your brows are blushing at the kisses of the sun, and your once white and well-kept hands are stained a sober done, what though your backs are bent with toil, and ye have lost the air with which ye bowed your stately heads amid the young and fair, I fain would in my slender palm your horny fingers clasp, for I love the hand of honest toil, its firm and heartfelt grasp, and I know, O miners brave and true, that not alone for self have ye heaped through many wearying months your glittering pile of pelf. Ye of the dark and thoughtful eyes beneath the bronzed brow, ye on whose smooth and rounded cheeks still gleams youth's purple glow, ye of the reckless, daring life, ye of the timid glance, ho, young and old, ho, grave and gay, to our nation's fet advance, ho, sun-kissed brother from the south, where radiant skies are glowing, ho, toiler from the stormy north, where snowy winds are blowing, ho, buckeye, hoosier from the west, sons of the river great, come shout Columbia's birthday song in the new golden state. Ho, children of imperial France, ho, Erin's brave and true, ho, England's golden-bearded race, we fain would welcome you, and dark-eyed friends from those glad climes where Spain's proud blood is seen, to join in freedom's holy psalm, ye'll not refuse, I ween. For now the banner of the frees in very deed our own, and mid the brotherhood of states not ours the feeblest one, then proudly shout, ye bushy men, with throats all brown and bare, for lo, from midst our flag's brave blue, leaps out a golden star. After reading the above lines, Mr. B. pronounced beautifully a very splendid oration. Unlike such efforts in general, it was exceedingly fresh and new, so that, instead of its being that infliction that Fourth of July orations commonly are, it was a high pleasure to listen to him. Perhaps, where nature herself is so original, it is impossible for even thought to be hackneyed. It is too long for a letter, but as the miners have requested a copy for publication, I will send it to you in print. About half an hour after the close of the oration the ladies from the hill arrived. They made a pretty picture descending the steep, the one with her wealth of floating curls turbaned in a snowy nubia, and her white dress set off by a crimson scarf, the other with a little Pamela hat placed coquettishly upon her brown braided tresses, and a magnificent Chinese shawl enveloping her slender figure. So lately arrived from the States, with everything fresh and new, they quite extinguished poor Mrs. B. and myself, trying our best to look fashionable in our antique mode of four years ago. The dinner was excellent. We had a real live captain, a very gentlemanly person, who had actually been in action during the Mexican War, for president. Many of the toasts were quite spicy and original. One of the new ladies sang three or four beautiful songs, and everything passed off at Rich Bar quite respectably. To be sure, there was a small fight in the bar-room, which is situated just below the dining-room, during which much speech and little blood were spouted. Whether the latter catastrophe was caused by a blow received, or the large talking of the victim, is not known. Two peacefully inclined citizens, who at the first battle-shout had rushed manfully to the rescue, returned at the subsiding of hostilities with blood-bespattered shirt-bosoms, at which fearful sight the pretty wearer of the Pamela hat, one of the delinquents being her husband, chose to go faint, and would not finish her dinner, which, as we saw that her distress was real, somewhat marred our enjoyment. 
On our way home, half a dozen gentlemen who preceded us stepped in front of a cabin full of infant phenomena, and gave nine cheers for the mother and her children, which will show what a rarity those embodiments of noise and disquiet are in the mountains. This group of pretty darlings consists of three sweet little girls, slender, straight, and white as ivory wands, moving with an incessant and staccato, do you remember our old music lessons, activity which always makes me think of my hummingbirds? About five o'clock we arrived at home, just in time to hear some noisy shouts of, "'Down with the Spaniards! The great American people forever!' and other such similar cries, evident signs of quite a spirited fight between the two parties, which was, in reality, taking place at the moment. Seven or eight of the elite of rich bar, drunk with whisky and patriotism, were the principal actors in this unhappy affair, which resulted in serious injury to two or three Spaniards. For some time past there has been a gradually increasing state of bad feeling, exhibited by our countrymen, increased, we fancy, by the ill-treatment which our consul received the other day at Acapulco, toward foreigners. In this affair our own countrymen were principally to blame, or rather, I should say, Sir Barleycorn was to blame, for many of the ringleaders are fine young men who, when sober, are decidedly friendly to the Spaniards. It is feared that this will not be the end of the fracas though the more intelligent foreigners, as well as the judicious Americans, are making every effort to promote kindly feeling between the two nations. This will be very difficult, on account of the ignorant prejudices of the low-bred, which class are a large proportion of both parties. It is very common to hear vulgar Yankees say of the Spanish, "'Oh, they are half-civilized black men!' These unjust expressions naturally irritate the latter, many of whom are highly educated gentlemen of the most refined and cultivated manners. We labor under great disadvantages in the judgment of foreigners. Our peculiar political institutions, and the prevalence of common schools, give to all our people an arrogant assurance which is mistaken for the American beau ideal of a gentleman. They are unable to distinguish those nice shades of manner, which as effectually separate the gentleman from the clown with us, as do these broader lines which mark these two classes among all other nations. They think that it is the grand characteristic of Columbia's children to be prejudiced, opinionated, selfish, avaricious, and unjust. It is vain to tell them that such are not specimens of American gentlemen, they will answer, they call themselves gentlemen, and you receive them in your houses as such. It is utterly impossible for foreigners to thoroughly comprehend and make due allowance for that want of delicacy, and that vulgar, I'm as good as you are, spirit, which is, it must be confessed, peculiar to the lower classes of our people, and which lead the majority of them to enter a palace with their felt hat on, to address the king with the title of mister, and ask him the price of the throne he sat on. The class of men who rule society in the mines are the gamblers, who, for the most part, are reckless, bad men, although, no doubt, there are many among them whose only vice is that fatal love of play. The rest of the people are afraid of these daring, unprincipled persons, and when they commit the most glaring injustice against the Spaniards, it is generally passed unnoticed. We have had innumerable drunken fights during the summer, with the usual amount of broken heads, collar-bones, stabs, etc. Indeed, the Sabbaths are almost always enlivened by some such merry event. Were it not for these affairs, I might sometimes forget that the sweet day of rest was shining down upon us. Last week the dead body of a Frenchman was found in the river, near Missouri Bar. On examination of the body it was the general opinion that he had been murdered. 
suspicion has, as yet, fallen upon no person. End of letter 18. Recorded by Rachel Ellen, near Yosemite, California, August 4, 2008.